Hello and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 25. I nearly said 125 there, I have no idea why. Uh, if you guys have not listened to us before, we are basically a podcast talking about all things in the top five European leagues, splinking a little bit of the MLS on top of that as well. And luckily, considering I know not that much about the MLS, I have two co-hosts uh, who help me with that. They are from New York and one of them is here with me today. Martino, how are you doing, mate? Doing great, man. Uh, winter's really starting to hit the New York area, and it is horrible. And yeah. you get to and you get to experience it in a few days when you come on over. Or oh, actually, Tom- tomorrow. Tomorrow, yeah. I'm actually going to be in New York tomorrow, so uh, uh, for work. And uh, I hear it's really warm, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, as you could hear, you could hear there was another voice there. Uh, we're joined by uh, Mo Ali, um, big Marseille fan, league gun uh, analyst. I guess. How are you doing, man? I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Thanks, thanks for coming back. You're the first returning guest on State of Play ever. <laughs> I I feel somewhat blessed by that. <laughs> Last time, I think you came on to uh, profile Nicola Pepe. We talked a lot about uh, you know stuff in in France and what, what's going on from a footballing standpoint. And uh, I think we, we we said that it was either Bayern or Arsenal that Pepe could probably end up at. Yeah, maybe. he's had a quiet career been. since, hasn't he? Uh, yeah, we might we might delve into that a little bit when we when we when we start talking. But before we get into that, uh, if you guys haven't subscribed already, please do uh, so on whatever app you're listening to this on Apple or Spotify, whatever button's just right there. Uh, shout out to the Big Heads Media Podcast Network that we are a part part of. Um, they are supporting us, and, and we're very happy to be a part of their team. Um, but uh, gents, I don't want to you know we're, we're recording quite late here in in London at nine. 20 or whatever so i don't want to keep us forever uh mo we're going to jump straight into it going to talk about my favorite subject um arsenal more specifically unai emery um i I want you to kind of like take us back to how he was perceived at psg and whether or not you're just seeing deja vu here with what he's doing at arsenal because it it doesn't seem to be working out and it it seems like he's got limited shelf life so i'd love you to go into that yeah i'm not the biggest fan of unai emery um it Probably doesn't surprise you uh, to hear that. Um, but his, his, I think his first couple of months in Paris was, I th- mirrors exactly what has gone on at Arsenal in, in that a lot of people had hope, but not a lot of expectation. You know, um, mm. he replaced a very, very successful Laurent Blanc who won uh, several titles. He, he, you know, he, he won the league effortlessly. Um, I think his only downfall was a, a very poor, misjudged tactical approach. Um, against Man City in the Champions League, which scuppered uh, PSG's hopes for a first semi-final. Um, and when he, you know, eventually uh, moved on, you'd you'd have thought that the next step would be um, hiring a, a big name coach or or something that you know something that mirrored uh, you know, at least decent thinking. Um, <laughs> in 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 the case they got Unai Emery, who was successful in Europe, but in Europa League. Um, as well as other failed stints in Russia and elsewhere. Um, and, and the same is with Arsenal. You know, who do you replace after 22 years um, of Arsene Wenger? You know, uh, things have gone a bit stale. Uh, you're expecting you know, either, either a big-name coach or something that mirrors uh, some decent thinking, whether it's going to be a youthful coach that knows the Arsenal way, the Arsenal DNA, or you're going to go for the big guns. And both times, both PSG and Arsenal, or PSG had paid the price of a uh, uh, uninspired, muddled thinking, the middle way, 
um, of, a, of a decent coach, um, quote unquote. I don't think it, you, you'll be able to see the fact that I'm actually doing the air quotes. Um, um, and the same way Arsenal have gone, you know, you had uh, everybody linked from Arteta to Allegri, and in the end, they went uh, to Unai Emery, who in France, um, on paper, was successful. But you have to remember, this is a, a side that was packed with several world talents. He, he is the manager who spent 400 million um, in, the, in the transfer window um, in the summer of 2017. He, he's won the league. He's won the domestic cups, uh, both domestic cups. But it wasn't a major success. Um, and part of that is the fact that Unai Emery was a little bit out of his depth against uh, or in, in the same dressing room as some veritable world stars. Um, but also, you know, he also had the uh, sporting director, Antero Henrique, and, and obviously the club hierarchy that didn't exactly work in his favour either. And, you know, a lot of this sort of contributed to PSG not actually improving at all on the, on the Blanquiers. He made a couple of very weird tactical um, approaches, especially when teams were losing. I don't think he actually had a plan B um, when, when his sides were losing. But, um, you know, on the face of it, when they were winning, things would look really, really good, especially in the young, where it's not really too difficult for a, a, a very richly assembled team to do very well. Um, and they paid for that in their first year. You saw that Monaco um, were by far the better team um, in Emery's first year where he actually failed to win the league title before the second year, obviously bolstered by Neymar and Mbappe, um, ended up winning um, winning uh, the, the, the league on title. Uh, but it wasn't a major success and PSG dispensed with him and slightly improved in the form of Thomas Tuchel who, who um, hasn't actually also been that impressive. And at Arsenal, you can also see, you know, the weight of expectations a bit too high. Uh, it looked it looked good at points last season. I think you'd be probably best place to say that uh, where results had looked in the at the beginning decent, but obviously failure to qualify for the Champions League a late season um, a late season spill um, happened again. Uh, he didn't win the last his final four games in Liga after having uh, wrapped up the league title. Um, and, and then after another richly assembled squad, obviously by Arsenal standards this time, uh, where you spent, you know, several multiples above the 40 million that was reported. Um, and, and a lot of people, you remember, you know, in August, just three months ago, a lot of people had tipped Arsenal to be safely in the top four um, by the end of the season, or at least, you know, somewhere challenging for second or third, somewhere on the podium. And things just haven't gone that well. And of course, there's obviously indoor politics and club politics that people um, are you know, more um, people in the know can obviously speak on that better than I could. Um, but it just seems that Emery is once again out of his depth. He is what I like to think of as a B-rate manager. Mm. The, the ones that, that don't trouble the top eight of the Champions Leagues, the ones that are, you know, nigh on certainties for the last stage of the Europa League. There are managers like that across Europe that are decent in their own right, but they're not amongst the elite. And I think that's where Emery is and always will be. Um, in the same way that other people, like obviously we'll talk about Villas-Boas later on, um, you know, they're, they're among that rung. They're not the Klops and the Guardiolas and the, uh, and the Allegri's of this world. And somehow he's walked into two decent jobs. Of course, everyone deserves a shot. <laughs> But, but that, this is the second time where things haven't 
haven't gone that well. And again, his successes with, with Sevilla were not exactly in the the you know, podiums of the of the La Liga Championship or or the, or the Champions League. So it just goes to show what were these clubs thinking when when they hired him. They weren't thinking that much at all. And Martino, the man who hired him is actually now pretty much the chief executive at Milan, the team that you support, even Gazidis. Mm. He's basically gone and made the most important decision in Arsenal's history in the last 25 years, pretty much left it like a pile of steaming crap uh, with this kind of, uh, at the time, the new management board with uh, Raul um, and... um, uh, obviously, that the kind of like new board that he'd created, uh, some internal politics there. A couple of the guys left um, for for reasons unknown, really, to the public, and they've hired Edu recently. Um, what's your perspective, firstly, on kind of like ongoings at, at Arsenal at the moment, and what you know, Emery is doing? And then, secondly, take me take me across uh, over to Italy, where you know, even Gazidis, I, I want to say, isn't actually too liked, is he? Uh, at Milan at the moment. All right. Well, okay. Yeah. Loaded. Um. So let's start. I guess with the whole Arsenal thing. For me, I really agree with Mo. Simply because I don't think he's a guy that is going to bring Arsenal to the accomplishments that they wanted to achieve. Right. I mean, the best this guy has done in in reality, like right. I don't think it's really like his. But the best part of like his career isn't winning league on with PSG because mm. I mean anybody could do that at this point um I think it's you know everybody was just like oh my god look at him in Europa League but at the same time it's like why do you want someone that is so successful in a B competition like because mm. Mo was saying he's a B-rated coach I mean he's winning B-rated competitions like we've seen him on, on the big stage with like uh, barring what what just happened to Barcelona this past year, I mean that debacle against them is just. I mean that was it. I think at that point, whatever, right? yeah, whatever opportunity or chance that he had at becoming a, a top coach or manager, um, just went out the window there. Um, and again, like finishing second in the league as well as Monaco played that year, I, it just feels like he always falls short of expectations. And I think a lot of people, especially over here in America, really don't understand the pressure uh that comes with managing a club like arsenal because now i i've always looked at it like you have all these other clubs that are really striving and succeeding like chelsea does like manchester city um even leicester to an extent and and you're just thinking like rewind like 10 12 years ago that that was arsenal arsenal was like leicester right they're competing for league title they're consistently finishing at the champions league they're bringing in um players that are fitting into their system um and they're just a well-oiled machine and i just don't view them like that i think i think they needed to let arson wagner go but at the same time they let him run his run its course for too long you know like they i think they kept him too long and then when they kept him too long i think they were forced to make this decision and I don't think they really thought it through. I, especially coming off of like his failures at PSG, I, I just, I truthfully don't understand it. And I think there's a lot of factors into why this isn't working out. Uh, aside from him, I don't think they've done a smart job per se in, in terms of bringing in the right players that uh, fit their profile in terms of needs. Um, uh, 
Pepe might turn out to be great one day. Um, he was very pricey. Aubameyang's, you know, I mean, he's he's in his 30s now. But you need defenders. You need central defenders. Um, he's not playing Lucas Torreira. Um, I mean, we know how Matt feels about that, um, right? Uh, I, I, I He's just weighing over his head, like Mo was saying. I th- and, and the thing is, when about 99% of the public knows that, like, I mean, make the move already. I, he's a dead man walking and at this point it just doesn't do anything for the club uh especially when you know he's gone i mean sever the ties now try to get a plan ready for january you know maybe bring in some sort of manager even if it's a caretaker just establish some sort of plan because as of right now i don't believe there is one that, that certainly doesn't seem to be one and you know the base of that plan wasn't really set well by the man that is even Gazidis that I mentioned earlier, Martino. How how's he faring over in Milan? I think I don't think he's having that similar role that he was having at Arsenal, right? Where he's really choosing all these decisions of who to bring on in terms of player executive scouting and all that stuff. I think that really has fallen under Maldini and Balban because they were the ones who picked Giampaolo. Um I forgot. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on the name right now. When they when they fired Giampaolo, they made they were making a decision on who they wanted to bring in. Boban and Maldini wanted Pioli, and I, I like Gazidis wanted some bizarre manager that like I mean I don't even think he should be allowed to manage at Brescia. I, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on the That's name. Spalletti. Uh, no, not not Spalletti. I think they were all on board on Spalletti, but he he wanted to keep the severance that would that Inter was giving him. I think he wanted a boost in the severance. He said, pay me 5 million euros now. Otherwise, I'm just going to be sitting here and you pay me that over the next two years. Inter was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to give him to our city rivals. Just let him pay and, you know, work on his wine farm and like make, <laughs> make some wine over there crushing grapes. But I, I, I think he's been really stingy in terms of finances. And I think that's where a lot of fans are getting frustrated. And and I understand where he's coming from, but at the same time, when Milan's like the youngest team, not only in Serie A and one of the youngest teams in the top five leagues, like this team needs experience. And you can't sit here and tell me when they're trying to chase a crazy objective, like trying to get to the top four again, back to the glory days. You're not going to be doing that with twenty and twenty-one year olds. You're going to need to be bringing in like you know. Ivan Rakitic is, is a guy who's coming up again in, in January, whether they could afford him or not, um, due to financial fair play is another thing. But I think I think it's good that he's not making those footballing decisions because I think we're seeing the domino effect at Arsenal right now. But in yeah. terms of finances, I you know, I think he's being a little too stingy and and if that happens that he gets these profiles of players that are 10 million euros that eventually you could sell them for 50 million euros and they fall short of that champions league objective then i think you're going to start to see more heads turn on him because as of right now he's only been around for like 11 months mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops uh mo the 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 bit that i want to pick your brain about there is that martino mentioned nicola pepe uh whether or not he'll eventually be a success i was looking at some underlying stats like i do uh and you know he, he kind of looks if you were looking at just analytically he looks kind of primed to explode um and he's kind of putting up the same stats apart from i think like fouls drawn um as he was in league on apart from goals and assists so w- what do you make of his career so far at arsenal 
Um, well, it's been probably a lot better in the last month or so than it was um, right at the early start of the season. Um, I, I, yeah, I still think he will come good. I still think he'll be a very decent player for Arsenal because of the qualities, um, you know, the, the, the dribbling power, the pace, um, and sort of it complements the fast sort of football that Arsenal like to develop. That being said, you know, I, my eyebrows were raised at the price that they got him for. Um, and I, I don't see him as a, you know, a 70 million player. I don't see him as a, as a sort of a prime world-class winger um, that normally would go for that sort of price. And um, obviously we were very sort of effusive in our praise the last time I was on here. Um, and of course, after 22 goals, I think it was in Liga last season, um, it was, you know, very, very big success for him. But I also think that he's, he's really only had somewhere between 16 to 18 months of proper first team, uh, you know, action in terms of being a, an undisputable starter, indisputable starter uh, for his team. Um, and that's including uh, in Liga, um, because at Angers, he, uh, beforehand, he was blowing very much hot and cold um, and hadn't actually improved uh, when Hull City, I think, at Newcastle were in for him about two transfer uh, two years ago rather um and for him to go uh at 70 million i think it had also something to do with the um with the fact that Lille were happy to develop a, a fancy payment plan um which probably upped the price i like to think anyway um and but also you know i, I also like to tell people for example um you compare sort of the way the market goes, if you compare the Nicola Pepe to say Florian Tolvan, um, both have had very sort of strong outputs when it comes to goals and assists. Although Tolvan has probably done it for over two and a half seasons rather than one, essentially, for, for Pepe. Uh, Tolvan has also developed uh, into uh, a, a player that constantly gets into the France squad, has reached uh, European success or relative European success taking OM to the final of the Europa League and um, um, and it's obviously is a World Cup winner um, and Pepe on the back of one very good season um, but probably will not be replicated elsewhere probably because of the fact that Arsenal also have Aubameyang and Lacazette um, whereas uh, Pepe was the driving free force behind a static Loic Remyel Raphael Liao and he was sort of the main source of attack driving in from the right and some how he's sort of zoning around the centre forward spot. He's not going to get that free role at Arsenal. He's going to get a very set role on the wing. Um, and then you see one player is worth 70 million, as Pepe has gone for, and another is being sort of shunned by the European elite and probably will do well to go for 40, 45 million, even though the goal output and the assist output is relatively the same. So, you know, I think people need to temper their expectations a little bit for Pepe. I think. It, you know, they're they're conflating 70 million with the fact that he's going to be in double figures for goals and assists, and especially in his first year uh, in England. And obviously, Arsenal are a very dynamic team. There, it's it's a team in transition, um, and the expectations are wildly, you know, sort of over the top, especially this year because of the finances involved. Um, he will come good, but like I said, he doesn't really have that much substance of like high quality football behind him. Um, he, he certainly doesn't. Exactly. Certainly I mean, because I, I, I went to watch, I went to watch Lille play OM in, in, at the back end of the 2017-18 season, and I thought Lille were absolutely awful. 
and Pepe was like a minor bright spot. But like in that team, it wasn't really that hard to be a bright spot. And they were, they, you, know, you have to remember, they were almost relegated. Um, almost went bankrupt. Almost exactly. Went, yeah. Remember, so before they staged a mar- miraculous comeback last season, of which he absolutely has to be credited. But again, you know, is it a flash in the pan? I don't think so. But it's hardly a sustained sort of, you know, impact on, on the top European leagues. Um, and obviously his international record leaves a lot to be desired as well. So he will come good, and especially with that team of like high-quality individuals, possibly with a better coach and, and a more stable system. But I just worry that obviously the controversy surrounding Arsenal off the pitch, the, the wild expectations of the fans, the pressure. I'm, I'm not sure if, you know, I don't know if we'll get to him or not. Obviously we've seen it get to uh, the former Arsenal captain, um, Grant Packer. <laughs> so... I'm, I'm just worried that sort of in pressure cooker environment whether he will actually come good but he's a great player um, and he deserves the time um, to sort of showcase his qualities and it's, it's coming out um, and I just hope that fans continue to sort of you know just give him the space and the time to develop well he obviously needs to play first and foremost exactly, and yeah. he probably he'd benefit from playing in a, in a team that actually scores goals because at the moment Arsenal are playing very tepid very boring very uninspired I don't you can't even call it football really it's 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 honestly it's, it's, it's some of the worst football I've ever watched in my life and especially as an Arsenal fan where we were blessed with you know I want to say 15 out of 20 years of Wenger's reign with with very 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 high level uh, attractive, aesthetically pleasing football to then go to this, which uh, it's just awful. And I, like, you, you've got someone like a Bamyang, right? Who is at probably the best level he's maybe arguably ever been at, right? If you think about, it, he's got to fifty goals quicker than everyone, anyone else for Arsenal. Um, it, it, that's a very hard thing to do, considering the the guys that have been before him, with the Omri's and the Wrights, and the, even Alexis Sanchez's uh, Giroud obviously scored quite a few goals as well. But you know the amount of strikers that Arsenal have had that have been high caliber, and he's done it in this kind of environment and this team, which um, which is which is just not playing football that actually allows players to score uh, frequently I mean if you look at the XG or the expected goals for a lot of Arsenal's game it, it's kind of scary to look at um, but but I want to I want to move us on quite uh, swiftly to to league on quickly your uh, your your hunting ground here Mo uh, Marseille they've, they've had a really strange season um, for me and Martino who, who don't really follow the French league that intensely um it's kind of hard to explain what's happened here because of the amount of injuries, the kind of question marks over Villas-Boas, the uh, financial restrictions, I guess, in the summer. And then to come mm. out uh, at this point in the season and be doing quite well has been almost a, a pleasant surprise, I suppose, for you. Well, it, it, yeah, it's definitely a pleasant surprise, but I, I, I'm not sure if it's a flash in the pan or not because it could have been, you know, it could have been another situation a couple of weeks ago, depending on, the way the results have gone. First of all, just to give some context to your listeners, uh, this is definitely a season of transition for OM. So for the for the listeners who've last probably saw Marseille um, in the European League final 18 months ago, this is definitely not the same team um, because of the fact um, of budget cuts, financial fair play um, limitations. And I think the, the, the last season tenure of Rudy Garcia, um, last season, impacted the club negatively so much. I mean, they had to qualify for the Champions League. They didn't qualify uh, for Europe, finishing in fifth. Um, 
And so with Velas Boas, it's just been, uh, you know, he's got to do the um, impossible, essentially, with a bare thread squad that's already been shown of uh, Lucas Ocampos, um, who was a very industrious winger for OM, who's now playing his trade for Sevilla, who just yesterday, Lionel Messi has actually commended very, very well for uh, for his Argentina debuts, um, which curiously came as soon as he left Marseille, which I find a bit insulting. Um, and um, you've also got um, the fact that Adel Rami's gone, Luis Gustavo's gone, and you know OM have just been unable to get some money in because of financial fair play. You know the club does have a, a relatively rich owner, but because of the restrictions, they're unable to um, to buy extensively so we've only had two major signings this year or three uh being alvaro gonzalez from villarreal daria benedetto from river uh, boca juniors shouldn't have said river plate there um and um also valentin rongier a very industrious midfielder from from Nantes. and the club is in second place albeit with a negative goal difference of one which is um somewhat <laughs> surprising i suppose um but it's been a really weird league in total because you know the league table has slightly stretched. But two weeks ago, we had a really weird situation where eight points separated the entire league below PSG. Um, and all the teams had lost and won. Um, well, had lost at least three times and had, um, um, the, you know, between three and six, essentially, which is very, very tight. Um, and for OM's point of view, after really poor defeats uh, to Stade Ham, who who have only conceded six goals all season. They're very, very good. Um, and uh, Amiens in October, um, they had to face four games in a row where they played PSG, Monaco, uh, Lille and Lyon. And the first of those games was against PSG where OM went down 4-0 inside 35 minutes and really humiliated themselves. And there was a bit of controversy of whether a AVB was correct in labeling this game as something that we didn't really care about, something that um, shouldn't really matter because PSG were a team of billionaires and a, and a super team that didn't belong in the French League, um, which some people took offense to that. Uh, but it also set him up to focus on um, Lille and Lyon, uh, which finished in the top three last year, Champions League teams, both games coming at the Velodrome, and OM have actually won both, especially against Lyon last weekend which was the first victory against them in five and a half years um which i was very fortunate to attend um and it was an it was it an amazing, amazing game yeah it was it was really really good it was a record atmosphere and dimitri payet has picked his game very very well having assaulted um the former coach who's now coach of leon rudy garcia um and villas boas tactics have really worked i mean he's last week he played maxime lopez who is uh sort of a poorer version of Marco Baratti, I like to think, um, at right wing, <laughs> at right wing, um, which was a, a very weird tactical um, move, but considering OM did not have, were shorn of their best player, Florian Tovan, who's only played 10 minutes all season. Um, a, a lack of signings, um, you know, a very, very thin squad, 17, 18 first team players. Um, and, and above all of that, they beat Lyon for the first time in four, uh, five years. Uh, they beat Lille at home, who they lost both games last season. And they're second place. And they've got a very f formidable sort of run going ahead till Christmas. Um, and there's no sort of key player in that squad. Payet was incredible last weekend, but that's probably his 
first good game in six months. Um, you know, Tovan's not there. Benedetto has only scored five goals. You know, it's just a sort of a collective gritty unit um, that Villas Boas has sort of helped to create. So it's you know huge credit to him. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly been an interesting campaign so far from Marseille. Uh, more more widely, I, I want to ask the question: Who's Who's been, you know, probably for you the best player in the league so far this season in Liga? Because it's probably quite an interesting question to ask, considering Neymar and Mbappe have been injured for quite a lot of it. Yeah, uh, that's a very good question. Um, I'm sort of torn. Um, I'd like to sort of think um, with some Benyeda, who's been really, really good for Monaco, even though Monaco themselves have been a bit of a dumpster fire. He's scored already nine goals since he's moved back. Um, but then you've also got uh, uh, Memphis Depay, who has been mm. the only good player that Lyon have had, and they've also been very much as much of a dumpster fire as uh, as Monaco. They're in 14th at the moment. Um, but Di Maria has been the shining light for PSG. He's just been incredible. And I think he's always had that level, except that he gets overlooked very, very much. Um, but he's the guy that sort of unlocks situ- you know, situations in games where things are a little bit tetchy. He's been very formidable in the Champions League for a long time now. Um, but people have perhaps rightly focused at times on Mbappe, um, you know, being the, the sort of the homeboy, but also uh, Neymar, where early on in the season, he scored like a string of late-minute goals, last-minute um, injury-time goals that have helped PSG sort of win um, narrowly at the death. Um, and then he's gone off um, injured again. So it's 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 tough, but it's, I think it's somewhere between probably Di Maria, who's been very very formidable, or, or Ben Yedder, or even Islam Slimani, who's been yeah. equally as good uh, for Monaco, where he's actually got uh, five goals and seven assists, um, which is a fantastic return for for a <laughs> yeah for a player that doesn't really you know it's not really someone you think of as an assist maker, but that's what he is. He he uh, he's he's got some ridiculous stats this season. I think Slimani. It's, it's it's crazy to see him doing really well, but really good to see him doing really well because he obviously went to Leicester for a lot of money and didn't really make the grade there. But Di Maria has certainly been impressive, hasn't he, Martino? I mean, I think we've talked to him about him on the show before, but some of the things we've seen him do this season have been ridiculously good. Oh yeah, the Puskas goal of the year that, you, uh, <laughs> that we discussed a few weeks ago. Yeah, no, I mean, again, I think he is a guy that, and I said it before, I think he's one of the more underappreciated players of a generation. And I think, and I only say this because of the general consensus on football Twitter, because it's heavily, heavily influenced by Premier League. And like nothing against Premier League fans or anything like that, but it's that poor season that he had at United that I kind of think, you know, twisted their perception of him. But outside of that one season, I mean, what could you really knock the guy for? I mean, he stepped up in international tournaments, stepped up at Real Madrid, helped him win La Decima. I mean, he plays well for PSG too. And, and you know, he's not that young either. It's not like he really is like in his prime and his, in his like mid early twenties. Um, this is kind of in the back end of his prime and he's still producing like this. I think it's, I think it's going to bode, uh, huge for them come, you know, champions. Like, I mean, we'll, we'll see what they could do. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't completely count them out because outside Liverpool, I think it's a pretty open competition there. I think they've got a good shot. 
I think they've got a good shot. If Neymar can get firing and and is actually motivated, like Mbappe's yes. form has been mad. Um, they they could do quite well. I mean, that that thing that you just said about him turning up in international tournaments. I mean, you could make an argument that when his career is done, um, he could be remembered as being uh, the stand-up performer for Argentina in uh, both 2018 and 2014 World Cups, um, and also in that La Decima game. Um, uh, he was unbelievable. Was yeah, crazy. played Cristiano in that. Yeah. I thought he was. I thought I, you could argue he was their best player in that game. Yeah, and, I, I, I mean, mean that the, he was just unbelievable. The, the lead up to um, to that final as well. I mean, uh, was was insane. But also, you know, the final against Atletico Madrid, where they won four one um, in extra time. Him in extra time, it was just like, how do you find the energy to be that good? And I think right. he'll go yeah. he'll go down as being remembered as a guy who turned up in those big games and also for his country. Yeah, I mean, look, I and especially for a generation of Argentina that's highly criticized, simply because, in my opinion, they have the greatest player, maybe like maybe of all time, depends on who you ask, but of a generation. Um, I mean, they were come they come up short a lot in the finals, and I don't think he is one of the guys. I think he's one of like the two to three guys that you could point at and say he's not the reason we lost that final. If anything, if we were to win that final, it would have been him as the reason for why we won the tournament and yeah and and you know what i i still to this day am a little confused as to i know i think it was because they wanted to give the reins to gareth bale but i it kind of still boggles my mind that they that they got rid of him like that uh i don't know i mean he's a top player and he just seemed to you know fade out a little bit uh for that year and then you know here he is again doing his thing doing his thing uh, let's see if he, was, he he even gets nominated for the Piscas Award for that goal that we really loved um, you would be so happy <laughs> I would be happy uh, before we move forward uh, need to remind you guys that the State of Play podcast is sponsored by MyBookie as a true football fan you already know uh, just as sure as the seasons change Tom Brady will keep the Patriots in the game every weekend our favourite gridiron warriors put their skills to the test so why aren't you doing the same uh, we're almost halfway through the NFL season so now is the time to get off the sidelines and get in the game with my bookie. Uh, basically, if you guys join uh, right now, my bookie will give you fifty percent of your deposit, which is pretty awesome. I think it's up to a thousand dollars, which is not too bad either. If you use the promo code Late Fees L A T E F E E S uh, to activate the offer, um, and yeah, double your uh, you get fifty percent uh, on a bonus, which is which is pretty decent. Um, not too bad here, Martino. Yeah, no, not too bad at all. Um, I'm a gambler myself, and I just want to parlay today. I just wanted to say. Um, so I'm in a little <laughs> bit better mood after uh, getting yourself. stressed Plug out yourself. by the runner. <laughs> yeah, no, no, yeah, hey, hey, you know, um, I've been I've been doing pretty well. I got I got screwed yesterday uh, with international. Uh, the over I had over two and a half goals in the Netherlands uh, Northern Ireland game, and that one ended zero zero. But but. You should still put a bet down because if you took the under, you might have uh, made a pretty penny. Yeah, and if you get that bonus cash, uh, it could be quite decent. But obviously, resp- uh, gamble responsibly, everybody. Um, now, Mo, I'm going to ask you some tricky questions. Uh, we are close enough to the end of 2019 where I was like, Martino, we can just ask him who he thinks is going to be like super good in 2020, right? So for you, top five players to look out for in Liga for 2020. 
Oh, that is um, a little bit challenging. Um, <laughs> um, Maria. I'll go for go for the obvious first of all. Um, someone that would be really interesting uh, to to watch out for. Bez actually been very very good in 2019 for PSG. It's uh, Mauro Icardi, um, who's been you know scoring goals at a relatively good uh, sort of pace. Um, and has been very formidable in the last couple of weeks. Um, but this is obviously a PSG team that is still shorn of a fully fit Mbappe, Neymar, but also Cavani languishing on the bench, but also through injury. So when all of these cogs come back in 2020, um, it will really be a case of how will Tuchel sort of manage all four of them um, at the same time. Obviously, there's an idea that um, Cavani will be sort of let go, uh, probably not in January, but definitely at the end of the season. Um, and Icardi is, you know, technically still unknown. Um, but, you know, at this rate, and especially his uh, sort of partnership and uh, with, with Mbappe's sort of understanding, um, he is obviously the prime contender to continue scoring. So it's just a case of how far will he go and how, how, how much will he develop? So that's, I guess, something to look out for. I think he's also still getting used to French football, but it's been very very good and also will he be the key um, to them finally unlocking their Champions League nightmare um, in, in, in 2020 hopefully the answer will be no um, but <laughs> I remain I retain some hope um, there's also uh, Dennis Buanga um, which probably you might not be familiar with uh, he's a attacking midfielder from San Etienne but he's also been very very good in San Etienne actually have been really really remarkable actually they were languishing in the bottom three uh, before Claude Puel the former Leicester coach turned up and they've been probably the best team in the league since and Buanga's been a very big you know key uh, component of that he's he's not actually the youngest of players but he's got you know great pace he's got great eye finishing and really really good dribble uh, dribbling skills um, and he's been a big reason of why they've basically shot up the table. I did mention earlier the league table has been so tight so even one or two po- uh, one or two wins can launch you from about 13th to 4th uh, which is exactly where they where they stand. Also one other team that's also with negative goal difference so that's something they ought to change soon. Um, Moussa Dembele um, at Lyon is also um, another one. Um, he's at, right up there with the top goal scoring charts again um, perhaps in competition with uh, Memphis Depay, but he's a player that's always sort of proving his coach wrong and still fighting for an undisputable starter position at Lyon. But, um, you know, I think he's also harbouring some late aspirations of whether he's going to enter the France team or not. Um, And in this sort of pre-tournament years, you never know exactly what a late purple patch can sort of do for your chances. Um, that was three, wasn't it? <laughs> it? It is three. That it was is three. three. <laughs> um, it feels like we're going forever. Um, the fourth one would be Aidnori, Ryan Aidnori, who's a left back for Angers. Angers are very much your sort of stubborn, difficult to beat team who, even though they've only won one in the last five, they are still in the podium positions in Ligue 1. They've been absolutely fantastic. They've won practically all their home games bar I think bar one, um, they've been very, very strong and they they really don't have a massive budget. This is an 18-year-old left back who has exploded onto the scene in France and it's actually one of the sort of youngsters to watch and whether he will be circling um, for, you know, with, with some major European teams come this time next year. So if you're into that sort of thing, that's probably something you should uh, look out for. Um, and my fifth and final one will be Isakli Haji, who's a Marseille winger. I had to include one Marseille player. He's actually been doing really well at the Under-17 World Cup. 
and made his uh, first team debut under Andre Villas-Boas um, last month. And he's a player that's already been linked with all the major clubs in Europe. Um, actually, I had no idea he even existed before I watched the preseason friendly that when we're playing in the UK. Um, before a lot of people were like, who's that guy? Who's, you know, who, who is he? And um, was actually standing next to a Southampton uh, a scout who was like, could you let me know who he was? And I just basically refused to answer. Um, but he's doing really, really well. Really, you know, he's, he's scoring a hatful of goals in Brazil. France have just finished third in that competition. Um, and now when he gets back, especially when we get into that sort of gritty post-winter period where competitions and legs are starting to tire, um, he's going to see a lot of more game time. Um, so, yeah, like I Nuri, he's definitely one to watch. Awesome. Awesome. That's, uh, you know, lots of variety there. Interesting to see if Moussa Dembele is going to be in League One the, the, or League One, the whole of the whole of um, 2020. But uh, Mauro Cardi there, Martino, a guy that you know quite well. Um, mm. Do you see him spending the whole of 2020 out in uh, in Paris? And if so, do you think he, he really could finally? I think he's always been seen as probably one of the top 10 strikers in the world. But can he, can he make that leap from that rung that he is at right now to uh, the Lewandowski level? I think he's going to be seeing it out only because this. Cavani, as as Mo made the point, whether he leaves in January, he's going to be gone by the end of 2020, right? This time next year. You highly doubt seeing him in a PSG shirt. Whether it's over here, I think he's been rumored to go to Inter Miami, which would be David Beckham's club. Um, which is bizarre because I think he has a lot of football left in him. Um, and then I saw a link to Inter as well. Who knows if that would be some sort of uh, deal that they try to manage with Icardi and Cavani going over there since they're having some injuries. But Icardi, I think he's going to stay there as well because another thing that's uh, fairly obvious, whether it happens now or eventually, the Kylian Mbappe is gone, right? He's going to be going to Real Madrid. I, I don't think there's a more obvious Ooh. transfer that's bound to happen eventually. <laughs> um but look, they're going to have to get the goal scoring from somewhere. And, and to your question about him reaching Lewandowski's level, I, I don't I don't know about that. I mean, they're a little... He, he really relies upon a lot on service. He has fantastic movement inside the box. His finishing is, I mean, it's bar none. He's really been quality ever since he got to enter. Um, especially when they had some very poor teams, he was putting out some really great numbers um, scoring-wise. But again, you can't help but think that the drama that happened with him over the past few months might potentially recirculate. Um, His family loves Italy. Um, uh, They didn't really want to leave. You never truly know when he might even make a surprise return back to Serie and 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 you don't know if it'll hurt his career as in you know teams just don't want him and he's not going to be able to reach that level and you're kind of looking at a little what if in terms of could he have been a top three striker in the world because I, I think at this point I, I it's possible but I don't know I think it's just it's he's too much of a question mark and he's too much of a wild card but um as of right now, I think he could he could be top quality. Yeah, it's going to be. Uh, I think he he's he's going to score a lot of goals wherever he plays. Mario Cardi, he's, he's just one of those guys. I think he he's got that killer instinct, fantastic finish, but remains to be seen whether PSG see him as the 
the guy to lead their front line for the foreseeable future. I mean, it probably depends on what happens with Neymar and Mbappe, but we'll, we'll see, I guess. Uh, uh, Mo, I want to ask you about uh, France, the national team. Um, how how high are hopes to win back-to-back tournaments when it comes to, around to Euro 2020? And um, I've seen Deschamps making some, I wouldn't say strange additions or uh, exclusions to a squad, but that they are slightly peculiar. Um, who are your dark horses? And, and also, yeah, do, do you think they've got a chance to win to win Euro 20, uh, uh, 2020? Um, I think they have to remain sort of the favourites, but obviously you've also got a resurgent Germany, you've got Italy back in the fold, but you've also got Belgium who are doing very, very well at the moment. Um, and yeah, it will probably be an open tournament, but obviously France have, you know, under Deschamps, they've been very formidable, first of all. And I think, uh, even though he still remains criticised to this day for some reason, um, he's broadly met and exceeded all the objectives they've set before him. And it's by, you know, his mantra of not in so much including the best players, but the best team. Uh, and certain individuals fall foul um, of that, but also he tends to prefer sort of safe options. Um, obviously, the clearest being his uh, sort of loyalty to Olivier Giroud who continues to score goals for France having done so um, against Moldova um, earlier this week Um, and he's got 39 goals um, so just I think two goals I think below Platini um, and really coming up to uh, Thierry Rue's record I suppose but um, Deschamps you know has still fostered the winning culture even though I don't think they've played any sort of top teams since that nation, Nations League campaign against uh, Germany and Holland about a year ago now, they've only played sort of Turkey. Um, and even in their free international dates, managed to only play against Bolivia, which wasn't exactly a, a strong sort of opposition they want to test themselves against. Um, the team still resembles the most, you know, at most stretch, the team that they won the World Cup with uh, 18 months ago. And I don't think there'll be any too there'll be too many changes. Um, optimism remains high, but I think expectations have definitely tempered. But that's only because people have sort of started to criticise Deschamps in not being bold. But it's that definitely it's that you know lack of a bold approach. Is that staying with his principles, staying with a sort of a safe pair of hands that led them to winning the World Cup without exactly playing the best sort of brand of football. But they ended up you know beating teams impressively on the day. Um, and managing to way obviously it wasn't easy beating Uruguay and Belgium and, and then a resurgent Croatia um, and then they went on to beat Germany and um, straight after the tournament um, so it's it's still it will still be the crux of the same team um, but of course you know everyone will be out to get them there'll be different signs tournament state favourites I don't necessarily think they'll win but I do expect them to go right to the latter stages I think it would be a surprise if they uh, if they didn't really. I think it's um, it, it's it, they've just got such a deep and and talented squad. Um, but but who would who would be your dark horses to maybe make it into it then, Mo? Um, it's hard. Um, oh, um, I've I seen think... Jonathan Ikone a couple of times yeah, in, in the, the squad. I think I think Ikone will not probably make it. I think. Um... When when push comes to shove, it will be sort of Kingsley Coleman who missed uh, the 
2018 tournament um, will probably be that. Wissam Benyeda will be somebody that's probably will um, succeed Alexander Lacazette as being the sort of deputy forward uh, to Giroud considering that Mbappe normally plays sometimes on the right of the of the wing for, for France. Uh, Matteo Gunduzi will also be probably a wild card um, as well as one of uh, Leo Dubois or Kurt Zuma um, at the back um, and whether Deschamps manages to get Hugo Lloris back um, yeah, obviously course. after that injury otherwise we'll definitely be seeing Steve Mandanda uh, between the cages ahead of Ariola and Mike Monion. Um, but I don't see any. I don't see any other um, sort of dark horses. We didn't have any dark horses in 2018. Um, the only one being um, people are probably a bit surprised seeing, say, the likes of Fekir and Tolvan ahead of Martial. Um, but obviously, people that watched France for for the two years preceding that knew that was definitely gonna definitely gonna <laughs> happen. Um, yeah, I think will be like I said, tried and tested. I think Guendouzi and. And and uh, Ben Yedder and the ones that are in the squad now, I think what you have to think with Deschamps is that he's not going to sort of ring changes, say the March international squad, the last squad before the tournament. It's this time if you're if you're in it now, then you, you it's up to you. It's in your hands, and I don't I think that unless you manage to score thirty goals in the next six months or something, if you're not in it now, you're in big big trouble. <laughs> Well, um, yeah, that's yeah. Well, well, we'll see if there's any more wild cards. But Deschamps likes to uh, be quite frugal, I think, and it's obviously you can't really blame them considering they they just came off the back of a, a World Cup win. But I think uh, it, it's time for our player profile now, Mo, and uh, you are going to uh, profile a guy who's just been lighting up the under-17s World Cup, and I I really struggle to pronounce his second name. So please, please. Go ahead with it. Alshish. Alshish. Adil Alshish. Um, a very uh, talented attacking midfielder. What can you tell us about him? Um, well, he's come off the back of a fantastic year. Not only um, has he done really well at the Under-17 World Cup for a France team that were doing really well before they were upended by Brazil, having led 2-0. But um, he was also in a stellar at the European under-17 championship in Ireland uh, earlier this year where he scored nine goals, um, a tally that uh, mirrored um, the UEFA record um, for most goals in the competition alongside Michel Platini, um, at least for the men's game. Um, so obviously it's it's been a fantastic year and it's drawn comparisons to the France great for, for Alshish. Um, he's come out of the Paris Saint-Germain Academy. He's done really well in the youth league, uh, the UEFA youth league. Um, and then, you know, he's he's a midfielder. Um, he plays in deep, uh, but he racks up an astounding number of goals and assists by sort of staying at the back uh, and then driving forward, joins the challenges and then picks up the ball around the penalty box. Uh, and then he's got a fantastic eye for goal in either delivering the killer, killer pass or going for goal himself. And that's what's enabled him in... Um, sort of picking up nine goals, I think uh, it was, in the under-17 European Championships. For France squad, I didn't even reach uh, the final. They went out in semi-finals to Italy. Um, and then replicating the same um, at the World Cup. Um, he's he's fantastic. He's very hard to play against. He's, uh, you know, a lot of teams have are circling around and Paris Saint-Germain ought to have high hopes. And, you know, Thomas Tuchel does... Uh, recognize this, you know, he, Alshish has trained with the first team for, for several months now, um, which obviously can only help for a player in that 
sort of stage of development in his career, but also um, he, he started a league on game against Mets um, early on in the, in the year, I think it was late August, um, where he started and played uh, more than an hour before being replaced by uh, Paredes um, as PSG won. He looked very comfortable in that. Um, so there's a massive scope for development there. And, you know, he's he's definitely a high-value sort of youth player to watch out. But obviously, you know, the concerns for him um, are that will he actually get the game time? Um, because PSG are now, you know, well-stacked in the field. It probably wasn't a position where they were, were, were you know, had a lot of players in, especially last year. They were crying out for uh, for, for more midfield, especially... Um, Given the fact that, for example, last season Rapier was playing, wasn't wasn't playing, and um, uh, other players were out injured, uh, but this year they are stacked. We also got an attack that's really really stacked as well. Um, so will he get chances to play, especially on the back of very very good international appearances? And it will just be a shame for a player that doesn't sort of carry on sort of that rich vein of form um, in the first team if he's just now relegated to sort of bench warming or, or, or playing in youth competitions. Um, if you look at, for, you know, a couple of hundred kilometres west of Paris, is, you'll find Eduardo Camavinga of Rennes, who's at the same age, who's been handled very, very well by Julien Stefan and, and the Rennes uh, sort of team. He's he's playing all the time uh, in Liga and he's only um, around, he's only just turned 17, so even younger than Alshish. He's um, played in Europa League, he's won the Liga and play of the month award that he's getting consistent first team football that can only aid the development and Alshin is obviously someone that needs to benefit from that whether it will be a loan or, or you know or something along those lines um, the worst thing for him would be to uh, suffer um, and Paris Saint-Germain have sort of let their youth players down in, in the last couple of months you've seen several players from Christopher and and Kunku to uh, to, to even Kingsley Coleman going far back and, you know, number of players in between who've just left for passages new. You've got, for example, in Lille, you've got um, Lille, uh, you know, Mike Magnon and also I think it was uh, Ikone uh, who came from the Paris Saint-Germain sort of youth setup who just couldn't get games in the first team and then moved on. Um, so, you know, that's a definite, definite challenge for them. But he's had an incredible year and I think the idea is that they don't want it to stop. They want him to continue progressing, but you really can't do that in these competitions. Wow, that was a really concise, but very, very deep analysis on Ashish. Thank you very much for doing that, Mo. Um, and, and on that note, I think uh, that's all we've got time for. So uh, thanks very much for joining us again. And uh, where can people find out more about you and your work and what you're doing at the moment? Uh, yeah, well, I'm still on Twitter, um, freelancing, but you probably see me mouthing off during Marseille games mostly um, but yeah feel free <laughs> to hit the follow button <laughs> awesome uh, Martino yeah you guys could just find me at Martino Puccio on Twitter um, not just uh, soccer football it's uh, a whole bunch of sports and a whole bunch of complaining so feel free to follow amazing uh you can follow me at pet barisha p-e-t-b-e-r-i-s-h-a thank you very much for watching everyone uh, if you want to follow us at state of play pod pod on twitter and uh, yeah some funny gifts as well as our uh, ongoings with the podcast uh, uh thank you very much for listening uh, have a great day <laughs>